Hello and welcome to the Behind Login Podcast, focusing on all things fintech and financial services that are happening around the world. I'm your host, Holly Lane. In this month's podcast, we're going to be talking about leveraging existing technologies and software as a service or backends as a service to build investment propositions, from building the tech stack to creating a community, all the things that are needed to build a great product from the ground up. Today, we're joined by Dan Gold, co-founder and CEO of Stratify Investment Analytics and Trading Platform. Dan, great to have you on the show, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So it'd be great to understand a bit about a bit about you um, and about Stratify and the kind of journey that you come from to to get us where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's a. Uh, I mean, a bit about me is uh, my background is my education is in mathematics. So I studied um, for a master's in Bristol and a PhD in Southampton, and uh, I've always had an entrepreneurial um, leaning. Let's say. So after my PhD, I went off and started a solar energy company. It was my first business. Um, that was uh, based in Jerusalem, and I didn't really speak the language over there at the time. So it was kind of a big experiment to go over there and start the business. But uh, I did it, um, and it took a long time to get going, really. But as I've learned throughout the years, perseverance is one of the most important things in being an entrepreneur. So I stuck at it and managed to stay there for four years. Um but since then, I've been working in finance, in investment banking, uh, mostly in interest rate option pricing. Um, and I've uh, recently been working on Stratify. It's, uh, it's something I am passionate about and see a gap in the market and want to improve the experience for retail investors. Brilliant. In terms of Stratify, I mean, it'd be great to understand a bit more about that. So, you know, what's where did the idea come from? What's the problem that you're solving? Yeah, so it, it really came out from my career. So, as I said, I was working in the finance industry, um, in investment banking. Uh, so, I was surrounded by people who were investing and making money all the time. So, I decided to start investing in the stock market myself, trying to, you know, secure my own financial future. Um, so, I started analyzing what were good stocks to invest in. Um, and I started researching the best way to do this. Uh, there's loads online, loads of techniques, loads of approaches, and, you know, there's no one right way or wrong way. It's just, just a lot of, it's like art, you know, there's lots of preferences, lots of opinions. But I found something that worked for me. Um, it was a, a form of value investing. It required analyzing a lot of stocks uh, and a lot of, characteristics of those stocks, which meant I needed data for those stocks. So I started downloading the data from the internet, uh, putting it into Excel and refreshing this every day and analyzing which stocks were performing best according to my criteria and then buying the, the best performers, selling the worst performers. And what I was doing inadvertently was building a trading strategy. Um, I didn't really know at the time, but this is, I was sort of replicating the approach taken in investment banking by my colleagues. Uh, so after kind of discovering this, I started talking to them and understanding how they do this. And try, and then I tried to replicate their approach in, in what I was building. Um, anyway, th this project quickly became a bit of a monster and I couldn't keep up with the level of work and the level of analytics and data and keeping everything tidy. Uh, so I tried to find something online which would do this for me. I tried to find a tool where I could 
specify my preferences. It would analyze the market, tell me which stocks were performing best and worst according to my own criteria. And the only tools I could find were things that required coding or were very complicated to use. And even though my day job involved coding, I was a proficient coder. I just didn't have the time or the inclination to learn a solution on a third-party website. You know, I had other things to do. I had my job, my family. Um, So those weren't really adequate solutions. So I pretty much concluded at that point that the uh, (laughs) the best thing to do was to make my own. And uh, after talking to a lot of people in in the industry, it became clear that this was something that uh, is not a problem I was the only person facing. A lot of people were looking for this kind of solution. Um, So I thought it was a viable business at the time, business opportunity. And uh, that's pretty much where the idea came from. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the origin of where I've got to today. Fascinating. That's really interesting. Um, And in terms of, you know, obviously it sounds like a lot of those platforms that you were looking at and previously using were, you know, web-based tools, which users, you know, consumers might typically do on a, you know, sat down on a desk with with multiple screens or whatever that is. So, and, and Stratify, you know, is is primarily a mobile app. So, you know, how did it, how did it translate from, from that kind of quite specific problem that you had uh, to a, a kind of consumer-facing kind of mass market uh, investment app? Um, yes, yeah, a really good question. I mean, I'd say that, uh, you know, just the question should be framed in the context of all ideas change, all solutions change. So, you know, the, the solution I had in mind when I first had this problem is very different to the solution we've implemented today. And that's because we've had so much time to think about it and iterate on it and get feedback and input and improve it. So initially, you know, uh, the other solutions in the market were all web-based. And I initially thought of creating another web-based solution, one which just worked better. Um, But, you know, that was probably three or four years back. And over the time, I've become aware that, you know, the market's moved on and, you know, younger consumers are typically interacting on a mobile-first approach. They want to use apps on their phone before they look at anything on the computer. And most people don't really want to download a program or use a website. So because of our target market, we've decided to go mobile-first, and that's really impacted the way we design the app and build the app um, in a positive way, I think. So it's meant we had to have a real focus on making the whole concept very clear, very simple, um, very intuitive. And we had to strip out all the complexity, which really is kind of, you know, that, that's my general approach to problems anyway. And the fact that this medium of distributing the solution meant we had to reinforce that approach is a real positive thing, because I think that's what means we'll get it into the hands of most people and get people using it most effectively. It has to be very simple, very streamlined, and very easy to use without um, needing to know any background information. The whole thing should be very intuitive. And in terms of that market that you're going after, you know, the, the kind of younger investors, the mobile-first consumers, that sort of thing, is that, you know, was that a conscious decision rather than going for perhaps, um, you know, 
the kind of the investment bankers or the kind of regular traders that you that you were previously kind of working with and, and had the had the concept from? It was a conscious decision. It was because you know for the professional traders or uh, people who want to operate in that way, there are solutions out there. You know, there are things that uh, very are very complex solutions. They require a lot of time and investment to understand how to use and implement properly. So we didn't want to re- replicate the same thing. A, there's no niche, uh, and B, it's not something I would use. So the product has to be something I would want to use first and foremost. Uh, if, I, if I don't believe in it, then it's not something I could push and get other people to believe in as well. So but for those two reasons, it's some, that's the direction we've gone. So it's something I want to use and something that uh, is new in the market. Yeah, awesome. In terms of the kind of like founding team, what does the team look like at the moment and um, how big are you? Uh, yes, yeah, so I mean, building a team is one of the most um, exciting and daunting uh, parts of the process. I mean, you're mm-hmm. bringing people on board with you in your journey, building a family together, um, and then you know these are people who create opportunities, and then you end up relying on you know. So it, it's a really exciting process, but it's also daunting in that you have to choose people very carefully. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's been a fun process, also a challenging process. You know, isn't, I'm not going to say we've made the right decision every time, and it's always a learning process. But um, the team we've got at the moment is fantastic. So the, uh, we have a co-founder in Nikki, so, so she joined very early on. And it was really in the early days of the business when I you know, was first going out talking to investors and talking to uh, people to get this idea out there. Um, you know, marketing's not my forte and, and outreach is not my strong point. So I wanted someone who has that strength and that expertise. And Nikki joined uh, and really showed great fortitude in that. And um, she's been operating in that role ever since um, and opening up new opportunities, bringing new people on board, um, and just being really creative and, and getting things done that I would never have any idea how to do. So that teamwork is, is really exciting. Um, and since Nikki joined, we've had other people as well. So we have uh, Carlos, who's joined as our tech lead, who's coming from the industry, um, used to be in FX uh, strategies in the hedge fund world, and he brings some great experience and great technical knowledge from both finance and the quantitative space. Um, we have a developer working on the app on the front end, an analyst, uh, Jake, uh, and then we have a bunch of advisors who are, um, you know, top of their game, really. Uh, so I won't mention them all, but uh, David Henderson is um, ex-Hargreaves and Lansdowne and brings some excellent experience. He's been an executive in the firm. And Andrew Mulvena, from Brightpool, a very successful businessman in the Bristol area. And then we have Kathy Griffin from Monzo, Louise Wilson from um, Abundance Investment. So it's a great team we've put together. 
brilliant. And I think you've got that sounds like that kind of diverse skill set that you need to to build a product and challenge in different ways of thinking and all that sort of stuff. So I'm very excited for the for the launch. Um, in terms of you know, so the podcast really we're focusing on that kind of uh, being able to leverage existing technology and, and kind of back end services to build a proposition. Obviously, uh, your skill set is is kind of very analytical, math orientated, and it sounds like you've got a few people on the team to do that. And you mentioned a developer that you've got who's building your apps. But, you know, nowadays there are so many services you can use to basically create the whole backend infrastructure you need to create. Uh, like a whole app effectively. So if you think about, um, you know, your KYC might be done by uh, Yapify or your two-factor authentication for onboarding might be done by Twilio, your, uh, your, your ID verification might be done by Onfido. You know, there's throughout the whole customer journey, there's, there's services that you can use to plug and play across it. And in terms of building out that whole tech stack, it'd be great to you know to understand like where do you even begin? Like how do you work out what's needed, and where to kind of get all these things from? It's yeah, it's it, there's a lot out there. You're right. There's just a whole world of solutions. As we've been building Stratify, it's been a bit of a balancing act to decide how much we develop ourselves and how much we outsource, and it's usually a, a pretty clear distinction. You know, the things that you want to retain IP and control over, you develop in-house and the bits that are more commoditized, uh, less related to the core IP and value in the products that are, that you can outsource. So, you know, things like KYC, money transfers are good examples. Um, and then choosing the right solution, it's a, yeah, it's, I guess, uh, probably more of an art than a science. Um I mean, the, the approach we have taken is to uh, just to survey the market, <clears throat> assess what's out there, what's being used by the successful companies, what's new in the market, interview as many companies as possible, uh, discuss our requirements, discuss what they offer, and uh, pretty much do a cost-benefit analysis for each potential option. Um, but there's a lot of integration that has to, to, to happen um, a lot more than I kind of anticipated when coming up with this idea in the first place. Uh, there's, you know, APIs that control every aspect of the app, the community, the payments, the KYC, um, the compliance. Uh, so it, it's, uh, it's daunting in one sense because there's so many integrations to do and so much to plug into but it's also an opportunity as well because a lot of people have solved you know every api that exists is solving a problem that uh, we would have had to solve in the past and is now solved by an external supplier and uh, likewise we're hoping to be one of those apis as well that other companies can plug into so we're gonna eventually be part of this ecosystem serving other companies with uh, financial data and financial services via our API. Brilliant. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And, and your point there around, you know, being able to retain the IP in-house to help to help understand your build versus buy um, focus. I think it's, there's a stat 
that's quoted quite often by the, the CEO of Adobe that says, you know, 85% of what you do as a business is, you know, can be standardized and commoditized. And it's the 15% is where you innovate, you know, so your point there around what IP do you focus on retaining in-house to to build your value proposition that you're absolutely, absolutely right. yeah yeah but it, it, i think it is really crucial to keep that in-house though um because you know that it's also equally possible to outsource you know 95 percent of everything and just have a skeleton app and you know we want to retain as much of that value add in-house as we can because that's what's going to secure our future and open up opportunities for the future it means we're able to adapt to customers needs and make changes to our products in a much more flexible way. So it's, it's really important for our strategy. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's always an interesting challenge, right? When you when you build from from the ground up, it's almost you can reduce risk of investing significant amounts early if you can just basically plug and play and leverage existing services. But then you're almost kind of building legacy into your tech stack where if you do validate your proposition and you and you know you want to take that in-house and build it yourself, you've then got to untangle some bits and rebuild. So I think there's a there's a real kind of um, playoff between the two the two areas and you just got to know where to focus. But it sounds like you're doing just that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd also point out that um just from my experience in the industry, I've seen, you know, how some of the big companies operate and they're probably on the other extreme. They develop everything in-house. They don't necessarily rely on external providers for hardly anything. And I'm, I'm talking about the big banks, uh, the large brokers, and that's equally, you know, it, it can be a problem as well. So, you know, the advantage of using these APIs and external suppliers for small components is that they maintain those systems and update them and they are the experts in them. So, for example, if you're using a supplier for KYC, their job is to check that your customers are who they say they are in the most streamlined and user-friendly way possible. So if you are, you know, for example, building that yourself, you're not going to necessarily have the best tech for uploading documents or checking identity verification. External providers will constantly innovate and constantly be updating the systems to give the best possible experience and that's some at their expense not yours so it's you know it, it kind of streamlines your operation and, and future proofs as well to work with the right external supplier yeah absolutely and if you think about those incumbents you mentioned you know sort of when they were building out their initial tech stack 10 20 30 years ago whatever it was these services didn't exist you know so there was nothing they could use so they built their systems they built their legacy and that was their they're differentiated. That's how they they got to market. But now Absolutely. the industry has changed, you know. So there's a there's that you know the digital transformation is a bit of a buzzword in the industry and has been for a long time now. But it's really those incumbents that need to you know switch up and, and change their tech strategy. So they are leveraging these services and focusing on you know that fifteen percent. Where can they differentiate? What 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 makes them unique and what do they want to retain in that IP? We talk about all these these kind of services that you can almost plug and play, right? That's that's the phrase that we hear throughout the industry. But but what you know what does what does plug and play actually mean? How how complex is it to to tap into all these different services? And I guess you've got to think then about um, you know maintaining all those relationships and a kind of oversight of that process. It'd be great to understand, you know, how, how at Stratify you've kind of dealt with that, a, you know, from an integration perspective and then also from a kind of oversight perspective of those of those potential partners. 
Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's not as simple as plug and play, um, you know, because um, every API we have to we can integrate with, we need to understand how to operate that API. Um, you know, I guess it's an analogy is like uh, getting a forklift truck or something or some piece of machinery for a for a construction site, right? You you get a tool for the job and it gets it done, right? But it's not as simple as that. You need to learn how the tool works, you need to maintain the tool, you need to, as you say, maintain the relationship with the supplier in case there's any problems. So each one requires a lot of investment in terms of understanding how the API works and how to use it best. Um, and if we don't do that, we're not giving the best service to our clients. So there's a lot of investment going into that and that takes time, but uh, that, that's part of the value that we're retaining in the company as well. The understanding of how to operate these systems as effectively as possible. Um, but we have good relationships with every supplier. That's part of the process of selecting a supplier, main, making sure that there is good support. And, and a good relationship that we can just pick up the phone or ask a question anytime and they'll support us if there's any issue that uh, needs to be fixed or improved. Mm. That's good to hear. And then, you know, obviously you're, you're pretty close to beta uh, to going live through the, through that kind of process. Are there any lessons that you've learned along the way? I'd say, um, well, what I just mentioned, having that support available is crucial. Um, wouldn't overlook that. And then you need to look at the reliability of each supplier. And, you know, we've had examples where we've used companies which are classed as market leading and they all go down at some point. So, you know, you, you have to have a fallback mechanism where you don't rely on anyone. So we need to be able to operate the business even without them in the worst case scenario. So that, that contingency planning is always front of our minds. There's a real, real demonstration of that when AWS uh, went down in sort of June last year, and some of the, some of the most major websites across the world, you know, uh, faltered as well as a result of that because of their reliance. So, um, yeah, good example of having a full, you know, the importance of having a fallback, yeah, fallback plan. Not every system can be, you know, backed up. I mean, there are systems you are critic that are critical for your solution. And if they go down, you wouldn't be able to serve your clients. But I think the important thing is that you still retain ownership of all the data and the processes so that you can implement a backup in, yeah. if necessary. Yeah. We spoke at the start a bit about the team. Um, so has your developer help, you know, working with those APIs and integrating them? Yeah, so we have, um, well, we have two expert uh, developers on this. So Carlos on the back end and Demetra on the front end. Um, and they're, they're both into the details, understanding how the APIs work and integrating them. And they can rely on each other, ask each other questions. That's been really important as well, to not just rely on one person. Because mm. as good as anyone is, no one knows everything. So having, for anyone who's an expert, just to have a sounding board, it's been really important. So Dimitro and Carlos are always discussing the best way to implement things um, and integrate them. And together, they've formed a really strong team and they're very effective in getting things integrated in a very secure way. 
Brilliant. Yeah, I think it's important to have that peer review, isn't it? Um, yeah. And that sense check, check yourself. Um, interesting. I think as it feels to me like, you know, the industry has evolved so quickly. Um, and if you think about the kind of front end side of things, this concept of low code and no code platform. So, you know, any anyone with a with a computer can pretty much go and build a website now. And I wonder how how long it will take until we have a similar thing where there is very little development required, very little understanding of those kind of APIs and you can literally leverage the services, you know, without without any coding required at all. I, I yeah, I mean I think that would be amazing. Um I think I've heard about this kind of concept, people working on it, but uh, I don't know if there's anything out there at the moment. Um, yeah. But there's also yes. so many APIs. I, th- I think any solution that was able to integrate all the APIs and all their flexibility with no code, it's, it'd be a, you know an amazing product. But my feeling is it's going to be a few years off still. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's an interesting company in Bristol actually called App Miller, um, who've launched a proposition effectively to help businesses with that. There's a company called Backendless as well, which which is effectively a no code backend service. Um, so I think yeah, as you say, it's probably a few years away. Um, but there's some interesting businesses popping up to solve that problem. Yeah, no, they they sound fascinating. But you know, to some extent, this has already happened. Um, without us realizing necessarily i mean if you look at things like aws um you know if if you go back 10 years the every single service they offer you know would have had to be something you built yourself such as you know the ability to integrate with a database the ability to back up that database uh restoring it um you know integrating with other services, state management, you know, user management, authentication. So now AWS does all of this without any code. Um, But previously that would have been something you build yourself. So it it is happening. Um, But there's obviously a long way to go to kind of get to a, a really comprehensive solution. Yeah. I think that's it. Kind of nicely leads on to the next question. Actually, I mean, um, it sounds like obviously a really great product um, with a kind of you know a good value proposition, a real clear problem that you're solving. But there is a lot of a lot of innovation in the space right now. Um, I think you know as of the end of 2021, there's there's 26,000 fintechs operating globally. Um, VC investment is you know is at an all time high, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of noise, I guess, a lot of products in the market, and that partially has been has been a, a kind of as a result of this accessibility of technology. The fact that businesses can spin up uh, by leveraging a series of backend services and all that all that is required, in, in some sense, is a front end experience. You said earlier about ninety, you know, you could get ninety five percent of your services built by third parties and then all you need is the front end uh, that five percent so you know how are you going to how stratify going to kind of differentiate yourselves in the market um and what's the plan to do that from from kind of go live and then throughout your kind of product product life cycle yeah i mean well just um to touch on the the fintech growth point um you know we, we've been really excited to see the level of investment and the level of um, activity here in London. It's been, or in the UK generally, actually, it's been really phenomenal. Uh, I think we're outperforming given the size of the market here. So it's a great place to be to start up. 
a fintech business. Um, and then in terms of how we differentiate, so we have um, a real strong focus on delivering value, right? So if we d- create a product that delivers value to people, then we, we think we're going to secure our position and uh, be differentiated. So at the moment, we're doing that by enabling our users to build trading strategies in a no-code, simple environment. Uh, no one is doing that at the moment, or no one at least is doing that in a way that we think is adequate. The way we will stay differentiated is by constantly innovating. This will be through enhancing the products, opening up new asset classes, new investment types to people, uh, simplifying the way people can invest, You know, opening up different territories, regions, and also focusing on developing our community. So the community is going to be key to the differentiation and, and securing the long-term um, position of the company in the market. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. I love that. The whole community-driven information, you know, crowdsourcing, that sort of thing. Is it, am I right in thinking they're called, your community's called Stratonites? Stratonauts. Stratonauts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, appropriately, the Stratonauts uh, name came from one of our community members, so... Uh, nice. We're, we're, yeah, we are proud to be listening to people as well and, and taking on board new ideas from our community. Absolutely. Stratonauts, right, taking to the moon as well. Absolutely. <laughs> in the moon. Yeah. So just building on that a bit, Dan, you know, five years ago, there were, there were conversations around how do you avoid disruption from uh, the Amazons, the Apples, the Facebooks, the Googles. And, and now it feels like the market's moved on a bit where there are you know, um, digital banks and investment platforms that are almost filling that that role within our industry, whether that's uh, the Monzo's building a Monzo Flex and, and kind of disrupting the buy now, pay later market, whether that's Revolut evolving their proposition to include, um, you know, crypto trading or stock trading or insurance products, or someone like Starling who have in recently introduced payment provider services. So it'd be interesting to understand you know, how, uh, how Stratify are going to avoid that disruption and avoid being being kind of taken over or their proposition being diluted by some one of the major players in the market? Yeah, I think this is a question we get asked a lot. And um, it is clearly something that happens in the industry. There's a lot of innovation and a lot of competition. But uh, my approach is generally that someone's looking to replicate or looking to do something similar. It's pretty much an endorsement of what we're doing. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of looking forward to people trying to do what we're doing. Uh, I don't think it's so easy for someone to copy what we're doing or or replicate it. There's a lot of IP, uh, a lot of knowledge that, that goes into building this type of products. Uh, it's coming from the industry and it's not something you can replicate overnight. Um, in addition, we're looking to get this first mover advantage in this space so that the pure trading analytics space hasn't got a clear winner in it at the moment. And we want to be that winner in this space, providing the best quality analytics and just being the go-to place. When people think of analytics and trading strategies, they'll think of Stratify. So once we establish that brand in the market, it will, again, be hard of someone else to disrupt our position. Um, but equally, if a big company wants to get in on the act, then it's an opportunity for us. You know, there's there's no shortage of big companies in this space. That's one of the things that uniquely characterizes the finance space. And we're happy to uh, 
have a discussion, I suppose, at the right time with the right partner. Um, so, you know, I look forward to those challenges. Mm, that's really interesting. I really like that that kind of positive spin on things where you see, you know, competitors come into the space as an, as an endorsement. Um, and I think you're absolutely right that that kind of hard to copy advantage is particularly around your IP. You know, it's not something that can be spun up particularly quickly. And furthermore, you know, you mentioned that, you know, having those conversations at the right time. And we spoke earlier about your APIs. So it's almost, you know, you're you're mitigating those risks and avoiding disruption by embracing uh, embracing that that kind of risk. Yeah, I, th- I think you generally don't want to be the only player in the market. So it's okay to create a market, but if you remain the only player for a long time, unless you're Google or something and you're dominating, it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty normal that there are other competitors in the market and that's healthy as well. It generates, a, you know, innovation and, and engagement as well with with the customers. So yeah. I, I don't view it as a negative thing at all. It'd be great to understand, Dan, a bit about the kind of product in its in its go life state. I mean, you know, firstly, when 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 are you going live, and then also, what does that kind of minimal viable product look like, and and how are you evolving your product strategy after release? Yeah, absolutely. So we're currently working feverishly away building the the tech, building the app, um, and it's all coming together really nicely. So the launch product uh, we're aiming to launch around the middle of the year is going to be an information-only service giving access to investment strategies. So you can decide your investment preferences uh, in the market and then generate a strategy, generate a backtest, and generate regular updating signals based on that strategy. So, for example, you could say that you want to invest in US and UK tech stocks, US pharma stocks. Um, You want to take on a, a... a medium level of risk, and you want to look at the companies with the best performance uh, in terms of momentum, so the best increase in price over six months. And every day we'll analyze the market and generate the signals which tell you which companies meet those criteria. And you can choose whichever criteria you want, and then we'll do a back test. We'll tell you how that set of criteria would have performed over the last 10 years if you had followed it. And then we'll compare it against a benchmark. So if it has outperformed the the local index, such as the FTSE 100. So you can really generate a very high level, high quality level of analytics that you would have only had access to through a professional platform previously in a very simple way in our launch product. So this is what we're going to launch within the middle of the year. And then at the same time, we're working hard on being able to add trading into the app so that once you've built an investment strategy, you can then execute that strategy on the platform. And this is going to give you the ability to buy and sell US and UK stocks and ETFs, giving you um, exposure to all of the main asset classes, such as fixed income, uh, commodities, um, and even some more exotic things. such as specific industries, specific sectors. So it, it's going to be a really fantastic product when we launch. Uh, at the same time, we're constantly looking at innovations and we'll be keeping our community updated with new products we're going to add in the app over time. So we've got an exciting few months ahead of us. Absolutely. And have you got a product team in place? Who's going to be looking at that, that product roadmap after launch? 
Well, I think the, the, the product team really is me and my co-founder, Nikki. So we are at the moment responsible for the design, the, the, the way it's built, the user flow, the user journey. And, and we're going to be building our team over the next few years as well. So every, you know, the team's growing, the product's growing, and it's, it's all going to get um, much more kind of exciting as we get to market. Awesome. Um, I think that, that brings us to the end. Really interesting, Dan. Such a valuable conversation. Really great to hear how things are going and, and some of those kind of key questions around product market fit and, and what the future looks like for you. Um, in terms of our listeners, keeping up with your progress and, and how things are going, uh, what's the best way to, to kind of keep in touch? Yeah, so, I mean, we'd be delighted to have um, your listeners uh involved and engaged in our journey so the best way to join up is to go to our website that's www.stratify.io stratify with a ph and you can sign up on there uh, sign up to our newsletter and waiting list and then we'll keep you updated with any new feature developments and also information about the release of our app that's, that sounds really great um yeah thanks again for joining dan good to talk to you Thank you for having me.